0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with
1: Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate
2: responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta.
2: I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring out of respect. There are
0: literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
2: Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by Dynasty Owner and by our friends over at FanDraft. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always on these Thursday installments by Mario Puig. Um, I got a lot of exciting stuff going on this week, and Mario, word on the street is uh, you're a dog owner now, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I've always considered myself kind of a dog owner because my mom lives in town and she's got... She's always had a dog. Uh, She actually for a while had the dogs that I grew up with uh, up north in Wisconsin. And then my mom moved to Madison like five years ago with them. Uh, They have since died, unfortunately, but they were very old and we're were getting some new dogs in the past year. So uh, I consider myself kind of a dog owner, but now I'm actually like uh, – like I was being like – the dog like the couch surfing version of a dog owner before and that like my mom was holding on to it and now i'm dealing with more of the uh, actual dog stuff uh that you know the uh, the the actual tending to and taking care of a dog instead of just showing up once a week to wrestle them for an hour
2: yeah i mean you're you're legit uh especially c- compared to me I'm, I'm a big dog guy myself but uh i have yet to um go ahead and and take the plunge and get a dog for myself. I'm I'm not quite ready yet as far as like my, my living situation goes, but right. ob- obviously uh, in February I went to the to the um, Westminster Kennel Club dog show in New- in New York City. Oh, that's right. Uh, love dogs, but uh yeah, so that's it's in the future plans, but but uh how is the the little rascal?
1: Oh, she's great. She's a Cairn Terrier, uh which I very 2020 I heard. of you. <laughs> yeah I don't really know what that I don't know what that breed is. It was just kind of like the dog was available and uh the, some of the some of the rescue stuff and the humane society stuff has been picked pretty clean so uh we we just kind of jumped at it and uh you know we we live in a relatively smallish apartment so we had to get a smallish dog and um yeah she's, she's just about the nicest thing um she she sleeps heavier than any dog I've ever seen like she fell asleep last night and we ate. Uh, She was kind of in the way of, on our bed. So we had to like pick her up and move her and she didn't wake up the whole (laughs) time, which is just insane. Yeah. That's
2: like unheard of. Yeah. So it sleeps, you know, as like heavier than like I do even. So, uh, yeah, it was our first
1: night here. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty shocked at that.
2: That's all right. Well, that, that is a, that's a good sign. I think it sounds like things are, are definitely, uh, off to a good start. Um, I have a, uh, a, a pet project, or or uh I don't know how quite to say it, but I have recently come into ownership of a new thing—a cast iron skillet. So I'm pretty pretty excited about that. I've been I've been working with that all week, trying to trying to up my cooking game as much as uh, a man of my ilk uh, possibly can. But um, you know, I'm, I'm taking good care of her so far.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's a such guy like a, a guy who exists who's like I'm a cast iron skillet dad.
2: I'm a. I see myself tr- like trending in that direction. Like if that's a path that's open to me, I, th- I think a I'm going to take it. Now? Yeah, I mean, I, I already bought some accoutrement for it that that uh, has that got delivered like right before uh, we we started recording. So like, there's all sorts of new uh, bells and whistles I, I'm adding to it, and I'm I'm constantly reading on on ways to, you know. Do the maintenance and everything like that. I've done the seasoning uh, routine a couple times this week to get to get it all all ready for action and everything like that. that. Um, essentially, you gotta you're, you're trying to like build up a, a small thin uh, layer, um, and you do that by by rubbing some oil on it, and then you uh, put it in the oven uh, upside down um, with with a pan underneath it to catch anything, and, and you do that for at 350 for an hour, um, to, to kind of start to develop the, um, just kind of base coat on it. And then, it, uh, another thing is, you know, just kind of learn by doing or, or, uh, in the, in this case, like you, you just start cooking with it and eventually it, it starts to uh, build up and become nonstick, um, so- over time. Do you just like not wash it then? You afterwards? don't wash it with soap or abrasive okay. brushes. You you use just like hot water basically in the sponge.
1: Yeah, I got a little like starter one and when I, I've, I've had it for like a year and I picked it up and I was like, hmm, this is greasy. I don't know what's going on here. And then I, you know, started looking very briefly at how it all worked. I uh, was immediately confused by it. And because I quit easily, I just uh, kind of never got back to it, but um, now now that you're near enough to, to to give me like the the personal you know information source I can probably find find a way to inspire myself and uh yeah ho- hopefully in a, a post pandemic world we can just be a uh, like cast crew or something yeah, like pan where, dogs yeah something like that
2: <laughs> I look forward to this day uh and I hope it comes soon All right so We'll we'll table the the cast iron discussion. Uh, th- that'll be a recurring theme for our, for our Thursday shows, and, and same with the dogs. Um, but l- dear listener, I assume you want to hear us talk about football. Uh, we can do that as well. That we we know many tricks. So one of them talking football. So we're going to get into that. Um, we have a pretty fun show lined up for you where you're going to, of course, get in uh, to the to the news coming out of Kansas City with Damian Williams opting out and what that means uh, for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We're also going to get into um, the Marquise Goodwin situation in Philadelphia and what that means for the rest of that Philadelphia Passing attack, and then uh, we're going to round things out with uh, a look at the Miami Dolphins and what it means now that that Tua is going to be cleared to hit the ground running uh, once Miami opens up practice and everything that, that could mean uh, for, for this Dolphins fortunes uh, for the upcoming season. As a man with a, a robust twenty dollar bet on the Dolphins winning the East, I'm very pleased by that by that news. Spoiler alert! All right, let's get into it, Mario. So again. Wednesday afternoon, uh Damian Williams uh decide, or announces that he is opting out of the upcoming season and th- this obviously he's not the first guy to to opt out of course, but I think this is probably the most uh like Relevant to our purposes that that we've had to this point in, in terms of just the overall fantasy impact and, and not only, you know, taking a, a potential like zero RB uh, target out of the player pool, but also elevating someone in Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who was already going within the, the first two rounds, of course, but now uh, things have gone pretty wild as far as how high some people are willing to take him like according to the nffc adp data from the last week so that includes the these last 24 hours as well edwards hilaire has gone off the board as early as two which i I feel like is a little bit more of like a statement Uh, look how much i I am in on him type of pick but uh i don't think either of us are are going quite that high but but where is like the the threshold for you as far as the edwards hilaire helium is concerned
1: I think for me, he would have to be more like, I don't know, a 15th overall kind of pick. And I'm trying to to make my position like I'm, I'm not taking him, but I won't dissuade anyone from spending something like the 9th to 12th pick on him. Because some of those things like you're not going to be able to get him in the late second because you couldn't do that even before this news. So or uh, not any more than occasionally. Could you do that anyway? No, it'll never happen. And so it's one of those things if you want to share, you're just going to kind of have to pay that sort of price. And I, I can imagine Clyde Edwards earlier having a really good rookie season. So the, the logic in at least some flimsy sense at least adds up there. But the cases where people are saying he should go top five among running backs, that's where I'm more likely to kind of just say this is wrong. You're, you're kind of missing something. I could be, I've, I've been very wrong about some things in the past, but I feel like some of some of the people who have maybe followed fantasy football and football the least amount of time are the ones who are getting some of the most uh, aggressive opinions on him. And I specifically mean the kind of person who only understands football through numbers that they look at. Uh, you know, they look at it, they look at a box score, they look at uh, spreadsheets with numbers on it, and that to them is the player. Like they don't even know the player and the traits of the player or the history of the player or the team or the coaches, anything. It's just kind of a spreadsheet game and i like spreadsheets I, I mean i rely on them i need i need analytics information to to go through the processes that i have but my process also cares about things like identifying the traits of the players in question and i don't look at draft capital draft capital as a cast sort of thing i don't think it's like you get drafted in these rounds therefore these outcomes are determined I've seen enough of wild draft outcomes to fully reject that. I'm pretty hostile to that kind of line of analysis that's really popular right now. But Clyde edwards Lair is really good. And if he gets the ball uh, to a certain volume extent, I have no doubt he'll do very well. Because I I liked him a lot before the draft. I thought he was a fine pick at the 32nd overall, uh, which made him the first running back off the board. He wasn't my top-ranked running back. That was Jonathan Taylor. But I didn't really have like a second-ranked running back. I was kind of just throwing my hands up and saying Swift, Dobbins, Edward Tilaire, whatever. They're all good. It's all fine. They're, they're kind of similar in a lot of ways. They're all the same guy to me pretty much. But uh, Edward Tilaire going first out of the group, I'm fine with that. He's, he's sick. He's a really good player. But he's also a young player. Like he just turned 21 this spring. He's got a shortened, unprecedented offseason. And there's also, incidentally, a couple guys on the team who have similar traits to him. There's also a player on the team who last year, before Damian Williams really got hot in the second half, we're talking about Daryl Williams, who took some reps even at Damian's expense. There was there was that sort of like, what was it? After Damian like nicked up his knee in week two or something, they started featuring Daryl Williams and LaShawn McCoy at Damian Williams's expense, and that kind of went on for a while before Damien got healthy late in the year and went nuts again. And I think people forgot about that, that Daryl Williams was getting meaningful reps early in the year. Darwin Thompson, the sixth round pick out of Utah state, had a lot of hype in training camp, fell flat as a rookie. Uh, but you can imagine a guy like him being better in his second year, because uh, as much as I wasn't in on the Darwin Thompson hype at the time, uh, and people people were taking him in like the 10th and 12th round. and It got wild. It got ridiculous. Um, so I wasn't a fan of that. But even I would have to say that when I when I saw Darwin Thompson on the field last year in the regular season in the playoffs, I thought, this isn't quite Darwin Thompson. Like he looks spooked. He looks he looks like he's really got the yips right now. And so last year's results, you you can't take it you can't take it as grounds to just write him off permanently either. So for me, when you have this much sort of uncertainty and when, when we're at risk for the kind of turbulence that we might have, I look at guys like DeAndre Washington, Darwin Thompson, Daryl Williams, and I think these guys could get 400 snaps between the, the between the four of them. Like, they only need to get about 400, 500 snaps between the four of them, and that just screw, screws up the whole Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ADP, even at the prior price, uh, when it was more like in the late second, mid to second round. So there's a still razor-thin margin of error at this escalated price, and... I don't think people are, I don't think the highest bidders for Edwards Lair are really processing it all the right way. I think they felt like he's risk free at 18th overall, and now he's really risk free uh, with Damian Williams not there. And I would have considered him pretty low risk at 18 to 20th overall without Damian there, but that's only true for me if Damian is not there. And And when Damian was there, Yeah, and when Damien was there, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 18th over. Are you kidding me? There's no way. And now I, I was like, you know, maybe I would have taken him here. But, of course, I was behind in the first place. So when there's universally acknowledged grounds for raising him in the rankings, I'm still going to be far behind the people who tend to buy him.
2: Yeah, and, and again, you know, if his ADP settles, you know, inside the top 10, uh, From this point forward, I I mean specifically, um, if he's a guy that is consistently going over Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon—nonsense! Oh my god,
1: I can't believe we're talking about this. But yeah, you're right. People are saying it.
2: People are saying it, and and again, like uh, you know, you you mentioned just the people's determination to ignore certain details in the face in the face of others. Like another big part of of why those guys are are, you know lock first round type of players is that there's no one that that's really going to be potentially like nipping at their heels as far as workload and snap count is concerned and like you just laid out there um, with looking at the entire Chiefs depth chart which could uh, you know be in position to acquire even more, uh, you know, veteran capital a- as a response to Damian. Like, it, it maybe Andy Reid sees Damian Williams uh, opting out of the season and thinks, okay, my running back room just got worse. Like, w- let's see what else is out there. Um, let's see if Devontae Freeman w- would come in or, or Lamar Miller or something like that. Um, so, again, all of this is to say that, um, that there's a pretty decent chance that Edwards Hilaire Loses out on, on snaps in a way that uh, Dalvin Cook won't, that Derrick Henry won't, obviously. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Barkley, McCaffrey, That like if you're taking Edwards Hilaire over those guys, those guys aren't going to have the problem of, of not playing as many snaps as, as their coaching staff wants to, whereas Edwards Hilaire uh, certainly could run into that issue. And, you know, at that point, you have, spent a first round pick on a guy who's getting like you know again like second round uh more more so returns which isn't a disaster scenario but it's not what you were paying for
1: yeah and i i'm not really uh i haven't gathered my thoughts enough to put this in a really coherent thesis sort of form but i really do think that the upper range uh price demand for for Edwards Hilaire is propelled by this new sort of analysis this new kind of paradigm of fantasy football analysis that's emerging Where people are very splits obsessed, where they 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 say like players with these characteristics in these situations have these outcomes, and it's understandable to me to use those processes. I do too. It's it's, but to me, it's a means of narrowing the possibilities and not a, a means of clinching an assumption of some kind. Like it's not it's not a thing that determines the outcome for me. Whereas a lot of people, and I think it's the byproduct of people understanding football less as the players and and you know the actual physical. Material aesthetics of them and instead receiving them and internalizing them just as PPR point totals They're kind of missing everything that happens in between and becoming incurious toward everything that can happen in between and there's a lot that can happen in between so they kind of look at these things like first-round running backs going back the last three years have had these kinds of seasons on average and That's all interesting of course but there's huge degrees of difference between a 32nd overall pick and a 10th overall or a 12th overall pick. Like you're using these samples that are calling Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Adrian Peterson the exact same thing with no de- no daylight in between them. Ugh. And I think a lot of that is what's propelling it where people look – and it becomes like a cast. And I'm using cast with an E, uh, not cast iron like we were talking about <laughs> earlier. But it's like this cast sort of based analysis where they think you know, first round running back. Oop. Oh, that means he's this now. It's like, he, what, if he was the 35th pick, you would have had a See, totally different it, opinion? It's a Michelle
2: him. Chubb thing, almost.
1: Uh, sorry, how does that go?
2: Well, just because, I mean, Michelle, technically, he oh, use a, yeah, a first-rounder, and yeah, Chubb yeah. technically was a second-rounder, and, and oh, there's no technically about it. The, those guys, they went, realistically, like only a handful of picks apart. I think maybe like two or three guys separated them, but... Right. Um, you know, this, I've
1: seen people. You know, they they really. I've seen people whose processes they're like, man, I hope this guy gets drafted in this range so I can like him. It's like, dude, you should already know what you think about him. <laughs> you should consider his landing spot and his draft capital, uh, secondary factors that basic basically determine the level of favoritism that that the team as an institution will give him, and that's meaningful. I, I definitely mean to say you should pay attention to that, but it doesn't predetermine anything and a lot of people don't understand that they think it's actually like a clinched detail that once this happens something is triggered and an outcome is predetermined as a result and that's not how anything works teams are wrong about little things little plans go differently than they than they expected and at a time like this having a certain uh, like veteran reliable predictable outcome in the first round is probably at a higher premium than ever and it probably makes less sense than ever to to spend a first round pick on a player in Clyde Edwards Hilaire's a s particular uh, situation. And not not just that. What happens in a week if they sign Spencer Ware? Like if 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 that happens and people Uh, retreat from their new valuation of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it shows, in my opinion, that they're operating on premises that they never actually verified and don't actually believe in. I think, actually, that if you are prepared to take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire top five in a draft, you should have been doing that all along. Or not doing it all along, because, yeah, why pay a price that you don't need to for a player? But you should have been willing to. You should have been willing to stake out the position I think he's worth a top five pick because if you think he's capable of making that level of return right now, then you don't think Damian Williams would have played anyway. And yet they're kind of doing this thing like, oh, he's – Damian Williams is gone, so now the guy who I already thought was going to win, no questions asked, is going to win, no questions asked, even more. I don't get it. Like, it's something is wrong there. There's not, there's not a good basis for some of the theories people are using, in my opinion.
2: No, that there, there isn't. Um, and and yeah, like if if you were taking him inside the the top twenty, then you were already assuming that that Williams was not going to be part of the equation, and that wasn't necessarily based in fact until literally uh, Wednesday when Williams actually opted out. So looking at the other end of this uh more so in terms of uh just your fantasy drafts and, and how to approach um that particular part of the, of the board. Now we have a guy where if you wanted to go light on running back through the first 3 or so rounds um and and you know load up a a receiver maybe get one of the premium tight ends maybe get uh, a mahomes or or lamar jackson or something like that as part of your early plan and and looking to get uh, a guy like damian williams in the in the fifth maybe sixth uh, round something like that that option is no longer on the table so what has already kind of become a desert as far as uh draftable running backs in that range goes um kind of gets even more uh scarce in my opinions like you are really really playing with fire if if you are in need of one of your first two running backs um at that part of the draft now that williams is gone
1: yeah i was definitely going wide receiver almost exclusively in that range i guess when i didn't take a wide receiver in that range it was because Somebody like Darren Waller fell to the late sixth or something like that something that maybe changed my my plans a little bit But I've been going wide receiver in that range and yes, uh, Damian Williams was on the board in a lot of those cases I wasn't taking Damian Williams or Clyde Edwards Hilaire at their previous prices and not because I especially felt comfortable about fading either one but it was just so uncertain it it made no sense for me to to make the foundational process of my lineup building around either of those players and so not being an option in the first place to me i was just kind of taking receivers uh in that range so if you were taking damian williams before in that range you know through no fault of your own things have gotten quite a bit worse of course but if you're if you're kind of planning on keeping that same valuation process and that same round-to-round strategy for your roster construction It'll, it makes less sense now, I guess, because you're, you're just down to, uh, I don't know, Ronald Jones and like J.K. Dobbins and uh, something something like Darius Geis. And the other thing with Damien not being in that range, there's going to probably be a little pinch of inflation for those guys anyway. So it's not like, you, you know, guys who are already risky, in my opinion, are just going to probably get more expensive for the fact that, that Damien isn't in the draft anymore. I'm... I, like all along, I was, I was like in that range. I need to be drafting guys like DJ Chark, Terry McLaurin, Tyler Boyd, uh, Marquise Brown, uh, Will Fuller, stuff like that. That's where I've been going entirely in that range. So, luckily, I didn't get sunk with with any Damien shares. But it was more because I I thought the whole time people were making just objectively wrong cumulative valuations of the Chiefs' backfield. It's like they it's like they thought this was a, a going to be like a Brandon Jacobs. Derek Ward, Ahmad Bradshaw thing or something. And it's like, no, Andy Reid's lead runner could could finish with like 11 carries in most games. Like he doesn't, he's not a run obsessive coach. He doesn't run the player into the ground. He has a history of giving large shares of the running back usage to one running back, but that's not the same as saying that the running back usage in the offense more broadly takes up as much as some other cases. So it's, it's just a lot of just, I think reckless, behavior basically and i'm a reckless stupid person so if i feel that way i, I don't think it bodes that well for, for the for the people who were kind of winging it that way with the running back position
2: uh, well i mean you just you brought up the i got i got quickly sidetracked down a rabbit hole when you when you mentioned the the brandon jacobs uh amon bradshaw <laughs> i mean uh, hot take but i think that that 2008 giants team the, the one after their super bowl win uh, was at least as good if if not better than the one that actually finished the drill um,
1: but I can't remember what was going on specifically they were, but, ex- yeah. they were
2: extremely dominant they're 12 and four but they, they blew it in the playoffs I think to the Eagles maybe if I'm re- remembering that correctly but anyway trying to trying to steer us back back on course yeah that this isn't uh, this Chiefs backfield certainly not analogous to that the usage uh, totally different Um, so yeah this really uh, shakes things up both at the top and in the in the middle portions of drafts now Um, before we get on over to uh, talking about the Eagles we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner I've been looking for a new challenge which is why I'm playing dynasty owner fantasy football this season dynasty owner fantasy football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office dynasty owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real nfl salaries adding the strategy of running an nfl franchise dynasty owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire leagues are forming now that's dynastyowner.com slash We've all been in a league where the winner just got lucky. And if you're like me and you know you're better than most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using real NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Go to DynastyOwner.com slash Validate your fantasy football skills. That's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Dynasty Owner, start your dynasty today. We also got a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes you feel like your draft is what the actual NFL feels like with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, and a team walk-up song, love the team walk-up song, plus multiple draft board displays and more. FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via project. Onto a large TV screen for the league to enjoy, but it can also be fully online, and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. You can perform both traditional and auction style drafts. Fandraft also supports IDPs, rookie drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league requirements. You can sign up for a free trial account at fandraft.com. When you're ready to order, the pro account uh make sure to use the promo code rotopod15 that's r-o-t-o-p-o-d 15 to save 15 percent off your purchase again that's fandraft.com and use that promo code rotopod15 to save 15 percent all right mario let's move on over uh to philadelphia um so this is a this is a passing game that uh as we saw the eagles kind of limp their way into the playoffs last year um the it was pretty clear that they needed uh, a re or revamping of that uh, passing attack specifically um, at the receiver position and of course you know injuries played a a huge part in that you know with Alshon Jeffrey with Deshaun Jackson being dinged up uh, that that you know kind of forced Doug Peterson's hands and emptying the bench for for guys like uh, Greg Ward and and Deontay Burnett and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside different levels of prospects all of them but um, again that's that's not the the typical receiving core you see for a division champion uh, in, in today's NFL so they they revamped things they, they obviously went with Jalen Rager in the first round uh, they got John Hightower out of Boise State they got Quez Watkins a couple of burners um, out of out of uh, Southern miss he was one of the faster receivers at this past year's combine and pretty dominant college production as well so maybe keep an eye out for him in general but um, so they, they added those guys they added Marquise Goodwin as well Marquise Goodwin, um, obviously, with, with everything that's gone on with him, he he decided to play it safe this year and um, and go ahead and and opt out. So that that, what kind of impact does that have on this Philadelphia passing attack now?
1: Well, the hope all along was that Marquise good, Goodwin wouldn't need to do too much because he's not a complete receiver. He's really good at a couple things. One of which is an unconditional you know factor on the on the on the field which is his speed when Marquise goodwin's on the field you're not you're not as eager to do a suicide blitz and if he's off the field then and, you know the fastest receiver is jj ortega Whiteside. Yeah, you're probably going to be more interested in blitzing in that case. So losing Goodwin, it, it's it's something that is an example as simple as that. You know, now they're now they're down a little bit, and more consistently though, they probably just hoped he would be out there to keep the safeties from creeping up too much and clearing that room out for for usage in the middle and intermediate, underneath for the tight end duo who, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, they have reason to try to get those on get those guys both on the field. For upwards of 90% of their snaps. So that would make them a unique offense. And it would make them unique specifically in that they would have probably among the fewest slot receiver snaps. And they would put a higher emphasis on downfield threat for the remaining outside receiver reps that they have. So a guy like Greg Ward, he was useful last year in the context of Jeffrey being hurt, uh, Deshaun Jackson being hurt, even Ertz getting nicked up. Jordan Howard getting hurt, you know, like all those things being down and them having no real consistent means of movement. Then, yeah, Greg Ward, he'll he'll catch the ball pretty good. He'll give you a little shiftiness after the catch in the slot. He can give you something in those particular circumstances. I don't really see the way that his position exists in the new offense except for, I don't know, maybe like 150 snaps this year, something like that. But I also think they might just mostly uh, go to a philosophy of, pure speed at receiver, aside from JJ Ortega-Whiteside, who uh, I don't know if they'll try to get him more going in the slot a little bit for, for the relatively few applicable slot reps that they'll have. Uh, but last year, they mostly used him outside. I, I can imagine him being pretty good uh, as, as their slot kind of receiver just because there's just not going to be very many of those reps, so it's, it's kind of a low-stakes proposition. But when you're in that two-tight-end base, you need more speed at those two receiver reps than other teams need in their first two receiver reps in any given play because the tight ends, uh, you know, unless those two tight ends are both Darren Waller, you're going to need more speed to make up for the speed to, to size sacrifice that you're otherwise making, and that sacrifice makes sense because as skill sets go goddard and Ertz are uncommon for tight ends it's like the the fact that they are slower than receivers can be offset if you just put a little more speed on the field and now you're just talking about a guy who's tough to cover again So you're going to want those safeties back as far as possible so that Ertz and Goddard can do as much as freely as possible and Miles Sanders for that matter. It's like the the further the safeties are back the better for him too. The the safeties go back far enough. Eventually the linebackers have to creep backwards too. So it all has a way of maximizing the best parts of the Philadelphia offense if they can just get speed on the field and we saw them commit to that really aggressively Uh, starting with Jalen Rager in the first round although they're going to use him as as a real receiver. He's not just going to be like the, the safe uh chaser but they did trade for goodwin and then drafted in the fifth round uh, john hightower from boise state and then in the sixth round quez Watkins, like you said so i think hightower and Watkins, if they just need decoy snaps somebody somebody who makes the safety turn and run so that they can't creep up and, and close on the tight ends those guys should be good enough but they're not as fast as goodwin they're not as realistic of a downfield threat as goodwin and so it's it's a little bit of a loss, especially if Deshaun Jackson gets hurt again, which you know I I don't know what to think there. I'm I'm hoping for the best because I love Deshaun Jackson. I think he's an awesome player, but he's been hurt quite a bit lately, and he's getting old too. So uh, Goodwin was I think the backup plan in case they lost Jackson, and and you know to give them that real just devastating speed, and they, they don't really have it, and and uh, so it, it makes it more important for Deshaun to stay healthy. Uh, you know, they'll be fine probably even if Deshaun gets hurt, but it's like they could have really had something special there if, if Goodwin and Jackson were out there making the safeties scared to so much as look at Ertz. Yeah, the, the
2: drop-off, like the the sort of safety valve that, that Goodwin would have provided if Deshaun Jackson were were to get injured uh, this upcoming season, um, you know, the difference between Jackson and, and Quez Watkins, as much as I do like Quez Watkins, I mean, it's, you know, totally, uh, you know, different way different tiers uh, of
1: player at at this stage so uh and the speed too it's like Deshaun's one of those guys where it's just like right when the ball is snapped an alarm starts going off in your head and and Quez is interesting and good but it's just like Goodwin and and Jackson have just like that terror level of speed
2: yeah yeah I have some some like memories etched etched in my brain of, of Goodwin just Absolutely dusting defenses during his time in San Francisco, and being like, "Well, this guy is just a different uh, type of speed." big um, so, athlete,
1: literally. Yes,
2: yeah, seriously. Um, so, with all that in mind, um, there's been some news out of Philadelphia this week that that Jalen Rager has been uh, working out at, at both um, outside spots, the the X and the Z, um, in the in the Philadelphia offense. So that that just seems to me, whereas um, I was concerned about rager's path towards regular targets that this year me too Uh, um i think now i'm i'm less concerned and and it, it seems like he's going to have a very serious role so um i will start by by posing this question to you in
1: redraft rager
2: or jerry judy
1: i'd prefer rager and it's it's a loaded answer though in my case because i think judy's really good i think he he should be someone kind of like Stefan Diggs, that kind of receiver. Like He's not a burner, but he's still capable of making your corner look like an idiot on a play and just getting wide open in, in ways that you don't really understand how. But he's, I think, constrained by certainly the, the, the competition for targets because Cortland Sutton is so good. Uh, like it, Jerry Judy could be quite good and still not as good as Cortland Sutton. And that's not even considering what limitation the quarterback play might present. I don't know what to make of drew lock. I, I feel like anyone who feels too overly certain about most quarterbacks in this day and age, uh, is, is, is maybe getting ahead of themselves. So I'm, I'm not trying to bury the guy, but for now, drew lock is basically the same player, both in fantasy and in real life terms as Mitchell Trubisky was going into the 2018 season, which you might remember, actually turned out great for his fantasy investors, especially because of that Tampa Bay game, uh, and he was running for quite a bit. So it all worked out fine, and yet he cratered in a memorable way in his second season. And, you know, who's to say, you know, it could have gone a different way. He could have cratered in the first season in a a different dimension, running the same scenario, the same simulation, and then had a good season in the second one. It's like these things... there's a range of possibilities and we don't know where the baseline is and Drew Locke for for the little bit that he played last year was inconclusive, but it wasn't good. Like he was, he was, he was forgivable to whatever extent he was bad, but there was nothing convincing about whatever way it was all headed. It's like, it was non-conclusive, but that includes like, there's nothing here to feel good about. The only thing to feel good about is like his surrounding pieces, not really him himself. Uh, I mean, Vic Fangio just like, right before training camp or in training camp. I can't remember. He was saying like, the guy's not a quarterback. He's just a thrower. And uh, yeah, that not I mean, ringing. He can endorsement. come a long way fast, but he needs to. Uh, whereas, you know, Rager, I, I'm not exactly a Carson Wentz super fan or anything, but I think Carson Wentz is a totally good quarterback. And if Rager is the number, well, he's going to start the year as the number two receiver behind Deshaun. If Deshaun gets hurt, Rager's the number one. Whereas with Judy, I don't think he can catch Sutton no matter what and Sutton you know knock on wood doesn't have any disturbing injury history like Deshaun does so better quarterback less competition and there is like as much as I ranked to Judy ahead of Rager I really don't think he's that much better I am a Rager truther I, I think he's you know I think I think he's a Odell Beckham kind of like profound playmaking threat and I don't know how much people are specifically conceptualizing him that way I feel like for most people, it's just a generic, like, pretty good first-round receiver or something. Like, that. like To me, Rager's the kind of guy who he gets the ball and time seems to slow down. Like, he's, he changes the entire look of the field.
2: Yeah, I, I wish that, you know, I, he his draft stock obviously didn't really end up suffering for it. But, like, he had to do a lot on his own to, to like, kind of— make sure that he stayed within the first round because like if you were somebody who you know like you alluded to earlier that just looked at the box score type of thing like you wouldn't have been uh that impressed by him that this as his last season as his junior year which is usually the year that that usually will propel a guy um into the draft and you know get their stock up one way or the other like his best year was as a sophomore um and then last year uh just catching less than half of his targets but like you have to remember just like how bad the rest of that offense was how bad the quarterback play was how difficult uh his particular role within that tcu offense is and it's something that like i need to remind myself of too as well because i remember tweeting uh i think during tcu's bowl game against stanford when when rager was a freshman i was like this guy is a Problem just straight oh, up. Yeah. There, there's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. This guy is different. And then uh, like my eyes almost like played tricks on me this past year. But I think I need to uh, like tap my 2017 self back on the shoulder or have him come back up and be like, hey, like no, you need to trust in Jalen Rager because there's a a ton of talent there. And it you know he wasn't just like a developed guy at TCU. Like he was one of the better recruits that, that they expect to get on a given cycle. So he's legit. Uh, he was legit his, his whole time at, at TCU one way or the other, no matter how you look at it.
1: Yeah, when you watch Rager versus, especially last year, that quarterback, it's like, it's it's as traumatic as watching Larry Fitzgerald versus John Skelton and Richard Bartell and stuff like that. Like, it's so bad, the level of quarterback play there. And uh, he, he was also getting double teamed and stuff ruthlessly every play. It wasn't just the quarterback. It was just like, he was the only real player on that offense a lot of the time. And, and uh, that, that kind of stuff, that really uh hangs on like your mental bandwidth and you start making mistakes like the drops that you won't make when you're allowed to for the first time in three years just run a slant and and like look ahead and there's grass instead of three helmets you know Mm -hmm. yeah
2: that'll be a huge difference um so uh excited excited for him the the arrow is trending up there there's a lot of interesting uh, receivers and, and young receivers going in that range, but I'm going to need to start getting some Rager shares, I think. But I, I don't know how crazy uh, his price might end up getting You know, this isn't like... It's
1: higher than I thought already. Like, he's going right behind Mike Williams yeah. in uh, the NFFC, which, you know, I'll... I'll... Definitely take Rager and Mike Williams ahead of like Emmanuel Sanders, who's for some reason going a little ahead of them. Uh, but yeah, it's honestly I think I've got to put Rager ahead of Mekel by now. Like they're 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 both kind of like ninth, tenth round sort of picks to me. But you know, either I it's like a, now I'm at the point where either I believe Deshaun Jackson is worth a pick in the first nine rounds, or I think Rager is, and it's like I don't even know. I might just do, I might just kind of stay away, or I might be taking TJ Hawkinson where I need to take Rager and maybe it'll be a moot point for me. But I I really th- I feel like he's really close because, you know, if Jackson's as brittle as we fear, then they just have no choice but to feed Rager in the event that Jackson's out.
2: Yeah. So the, there are a lot of ways that this goes really really right when it comes to jalen rager for the for this year so uh re-examine uh if you previously were, were light on him as far as your, your shares are concerned um let's move on over to to miami um so some news came out uh i believe a it was Wednesday with uh, Tua Tagovailoa being cleared for whenever Miami begins uh, their practice. Uh, he will be fully good to go. Um, no limitations uh, for him. Obviously, he's coming off of the the devastating hip injury. The kind of thing that doesn't really occur in the scope of football too often. It's something that's like a more like a you're more likely to see it in a, in a car accident victim than, than uh, someone playing quarterback on, on a football field. So uh, a very Unique injury situation for him, and that obviously kept things up in the air um, for for all the way up until April when when he was taken fifth uh, by the Dolphins. Now, the dolphins have him, and, and they are obviously pleased by his rehab and, and recovery uh, to this point. Uh, so I guess the, the question for you is, you know, when does the, the TuA era uh, start in, in Miami? How long do you, do we think that, that Ryan Fitzpatrick could be standing in his way?
1: I guess for me, it's not really going to be about whether Fitzpatrick stands in TuA's way. It's probably more to do with the kind of risk toward Tua and his health that the Dolphins coaches are willing to wager this year because if, if it's about skill, I feel like this should kind of be like a Sam Darnold, Josh McCown thing. And McCown was coming off a better season by the way, than, than Fitzpatrick was last year. And yet it was still one of those things like day one of camp. Even McCown was like, yeah, this isn't really a competition. I'm not going to, I'm not <laughs> going to win this. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I think I probably would rank Darnold higher as a prospect than Tua for, for my process personally, uh, even without the hip. But in hindsight, given Darnold's returns, it's like Tua doesn't even, if they're subjecting him to the same test, he does not really need to be particularly good to, to, to you know, quote, earn, earn the starting job. So I feel like if he's not on the field, then it probably has more to do with, you know, Brian Flores, the GM kind of looking at the offensive line play in training camp and they are notably dependent on I guess i are not truly dependent on austin jackson their first round pick out of usc but it's either him or julian davenport or something and that's no good that was that was last year and that was not acceptable that, that offensive line was truly awful so they can't really justify in my opinion putting tua on the field if the offensive line is like last year and Austin Jackson's a young offensive tackle. Like he's, he's not going to be his full form for probably another three or four years even. So rookie offensive linemen are notorious for starting slow. And, and they very rare, rarely are as good as rookies as they are third- or fourth-year players. With all of that considered, maybe they decide to – maybe they pinpoint some game in the schedule and say, like, that defense sucks. We'll start Tua starting that week. Like I could imagine something like that – because, you know, with the hip, business, I mean, even if without the hip thing, you would have reason to worry about Tua's health if that offensive line blocks like it did last year. Well,
2: and also without the hip thing, that's not the only injury he's ever had.
1: Oh, right. What was the other thing? So he's
2: it? had a tightrope procedure on, I think, both ankles, which is uh, okay, something yeah. to, to speed the recovery of a, of a high ankle sprain. So that, that happened. So he got injured, I guess, before. Before or during the Tennessee game this year, and then he also injured it uh, hmm. late in his uh, sophomore season back in in twenty eighteen. He um, should not be well.
1: taking many hits at that Alabama, with that Alabama offensive line.
2: No, he shouldn't, and, and and with those receivers either. But but he does have the penchant for hanging on to the ball, and and try. I think this is a phrase that was used a lot in his evaluation leading up to the draft and it's hero ball, where where he likes okay. to instead of making like the the smart like kind of need to do it just get the 10 yards if it's there at the NFL level with, with you know just an open something over the middle he'll wait a little bit longer for something to develop maybe trust his athleticism uh, to move around outside the pocket um, to buy a little bit more time uh, kind of Russell Wilson-esque in that way um, he is nifty so yeah I think that there is that that element to, to his game and especially if he's if he's gonna have to run for his life behind um a, you know a offensive line that is bookended by two rookies and, and both uh austin jackson and, and robert hunt that that is an issue so i think that that that's a wrinkle to all of this that um i think needs to be brought up more i'm, I'm glad you did because i think my initial reaction was okay this just means it's full go for for two starting week one and here we go
1: if they feel comfortable with the line, I think that will be the call because everyone's going to know on the first day everyone on that team will know who the best quarterback is and it's not FitzPatrick.
2: No, it it is not it, you know, he's the FitzMagic has provided us endless entertainment through the years but you know, if you're serious about uh, you know starting your your window if if you're the dolphins and obviously that they, they kind of are with the way that they approach their off season as far as the defense is concerned to get you know getting byron jones and, and continuing to get better um, across the board getting kyle van noy um, things like that um, you know this is a this is a a de- a defense is ready to you know be competitive and uh they have a that's lot in, in preston williams uh, as long as his recovery goes well and Devontae parker finally had his breakout i think that mike gosicki um his late season run last year kind of uh can give you hope that that they have a, a sort of x factor um at the tight end position because he's a crazy athlete uh they had a terrible like one of the worst backfield situations ever last year now it's much better but between Jordan Jordan Howard and, and Matt Breida so there are pieces in place for this team and if they want to if they're interested in starting to win now then I think Tua would be the guy
1: that's true and uh if if they feel like the offensive line is good enough to protect him then yes the uh, he's he's the clear choice for competitive purposes like you said that that offense is if the offensive line is just okay not, not even good like if it's just Better than the horrible it was last year. Then Jordan Howard, Matt Marita could be a huge improvement. Even though they're not good in their own, or they're not that good in their own right. They're not you, you know, they're not stars or anything close to it. But they're so much better than Kalen Bilodeau and Patrick Laird, and uh, even guys like Isaiah Ford. Like he he can give them a, a nice third receiver, Jakeem Grant. He's a, he's only a gadget guy really, but. They've got some really good players that are, you know, players who could be really good. Whereas last year, uh, aside from Parker and, and as it turned out, Williams and Gasicki, there just wasn't much hope. Uh, Belage was the worst running back I think we'll ever see.
2: Yeah, pretty bad. And and to that, to the end of of the depths of of the 2019 Miami Dolphins i feel like he's been forgotten about and it's been so so fast and things things were never really put in place for him to have much success but do you think josh rosen's
1: done done uh he'll keep getting he'll probably get like a third and a fourth chance because his price will just get so low that some team with nothing better to do may as well justify the expense but uh you know, I had some hope for him. I don't really now. They're also to the point where maybe he's so traumatized from playing quarterback That's for what the I'm Cardinals thinking. and the Dolphins that maybe he's just, like, barely able to, to to sense the field the way he used to. Who knows? I, I don't want to count him out or anything. But, yeah, he uh, he couldn't match Fitzpatrick last year, which second year – traumatizing circumstances or not that's not a good sign
2: yeah exactly so you know i had a lot of hope for for rosen going into you know his nfl career i thought he was a total stud at at at, uh, ucla but uh, things have have obviously not gone uh so well uh since then and then uh you know i want to tie this this dolphins thing into the greater context of of the afc east um so about a you know like a i guess it would be almost exactly a month ago when when the patriots signed cam newton uh going before that it was the the bills were kind of the the clear odds on favor to win the east and then i think it might have shuffled back with, with cam with the cam newton signing to uh new england uh being the front runner for this division but in light of everything that's happened this week uh with the with the patriots um maybe this is this is a team that uh, is going to be in a, a bit of trouble this year with with the um, not just the the volume of of opt outs, but the people who have opted out. Like the the defense was such a strong calling card for for this uh, Patriots team a year ago, and w- missing some really really key pieces from that uh, could be you know pretty damaging, especially um, if you're going to have to lean on the offense more, and that the offense in terms of the the pieces within it outside of Cam Newton can be kind of shaky maybe the maybe the Patriots are are still ticketed to to miss the playoffs again or miss the playoffs uh this this year and maybe there there is a a lane for the Dolphins to you know challenge for uh maybe not the division crown but maybe the wild card
1: yeah and they could get the division I mean (sighs) Ryan Fitzpatrick's passing production isn't meaningfully worse in my opinion than josh allen's it's it's josh allen's running ability and that kind of anchor effect that his big frame affords him as a high volume quarterback runner that makes him a useful foundational piece for the buffalo offense the the miami offense can get those same returns just by different means like if the quarterback uh, continues to match allen as a passer then the improvement in the running game the improvement in their defense that that's ways for them to kind of catch back up from that deficit that Allen might otherwise pit them with uh, relative to Fitzpatrick. But you know, if if that offensive line's good enough to have Tua out there, then Tua is going to be a better passer from day one than Josh Allen ever will be. And the the defense for the Dolphins, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I, I haven't like chased them as a defense two in my uh, best ball drafts or anything. But they got a lot of bodies there who can who can give them reps that they were nowhere close to possessing last year. Like adding guys like Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Noy, uh, that's that's not going to be exciting to the average person. But they've got they went from a what like Cam Wake must have been their best pass rusher last year or something like that. It's like I now think they Wake a... was
2: on the Titans. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, I don't even know who. That's who how forgettable Dolphins... it was. Yeah. Yeah, the best pass rusher that they had last year. I don't know who he was. But it's like adding Shaq Lawson, that's a guy who's only going to need to give him like 550 reps, but it's going to be a big upgrade over the 550 they had last year. Emmanuel Agba, same thing. Uh, Rayquan Davis on the interior. That's that's three pretty significant improvements over the reps they had last year. They have Van, Van Noy doing you know something or other, who knows what. They've got depth at linebacker now, both inside and out. And then at corner, they're at least three deep. Between Xavier Howard, who looks really good, Byron Jones, who, uh, he's never going to be like the ball hawk kind of corner. Like he won't really make you pay for throwing at him, but it'll always be tough to complete passes on him. Noah Beanagin, that's a big improvement for the third corner. They're going to have a fourth or fifth corner last year, who was their number one corner after Xavier Howard got hurt. So there's going to be a profound change there. That's not even accounting for what, uh, you know, this rookie Brandon Jones might give them at safety. So, there's there's so much new talent in that Miami defense. It'll probably take some time to get them, you know, all on the same rhythm. But even before that moment, the talent upgrade will be so profound that there's no doubt the defense will be much better right off the bat.
2: Yeah, it, it will. Um, it's going to keep them in games. Uh, obviously, last year, like especially in the early part, they were just getting absolutely boat-raced. Everyone thought this was the worst team that they had ever seen. Uh, the second half of that season looked a lot different. Things started to turn around. Things started to take shape, even in the midst of some injuries. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, low-key. I, I don't think it's. A secret that I think the Dolphins could make a little bit of noise this year and again that doubly so if if they turn to Tua um, as early as week one uh, and then of course uh, looking at the rest of the AFC East uh, not sure the Jets have it
1: uh, for, for, <laughs> probably for not uh, just the other thing in the New England's case is not just their defense is going to get worse their offensive line which has been a constant strength of theirs and a, and a crucial strength of theirs throughout all of their success here. Not only do they lose Marcus Cannon to the opt out and Ted Karras to the Dolphins, he was a, Ted Karras was their center. They also are losing Dante Sarnecchia, who, as much as the the offensive line personnel has probably been good all this time for New England, Sarnecchia is pretty universally regarded as one of the best offensive line coaches anyone can remember. And, and as far as recent memory goes, he's clearly the best one. Losing a guy like that really might hurt, and especially as they lose Cannon and Karras. There's so much turnover on that team, and I don't think they really, you know, look at that Titans game. Look at that week 17 against the Dolphins. The, the Patriots did not have the margin of error necessary to lose the players that they did.
2: No, they did not. And when it comes to Skarnecki, I think like the the famous uh, anecdote about him. Uh, that, that comes to mind is that 2015 AFC championship game where Brady was just battered, uh, throughout the course of that game. And it literally got Skarnecchia like back out of retirement. He had been in retirement <laughs> fr- from 2013. Um, and then he, you know, was, was out of there from 2014 and 2015. And then, you know, he comes back 2016, they, they win the Super Bowl, Um, and you know, the rest, of, the rest has been history And the, in the just like play. MacGruber, <laughs> you son of a gun. Um, Yes. So, uh, yeah, on on that note, yeah, the, the Patriots very very thin margins for error and and uh we'll we'll see how it goes for them, but yeah, bottom line, uh, Dolphins low key interesting. But uh for Mario Puig Uh, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to uh, this week's The Thursday edition. Now we got the full rotation of of, uh, NFL podcasts coming out every single week. So stay tuned for tomorrow's. Uh, That'll be with Andrew Laird and Scott Genstad as well. And they'll be rolling out once DFS gets started and the season gets started, they'll shift their focus more so to that. But uh, they got great stuff as always and a great lineup of podcasts to get you through the rest of the week, Monday through uh, Friday. So keep keep listening thanks for tuning in for mario puig again i am john mckechnie thanks for listening to the road wire nfl podcast brought to you by dynasty owner and fan